Hello and welcome to episode nine of Runners Don't Just Run. You're here with me, Nicola Squires, and we have Lorna Young on the other end of the Zoom call. Hi, Lorna. Hello, Nicola. There was a little pause you, uh, when you uh, introduced me. Did you almost forget who I was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I imagined it was some famous celebrity guest, but then it's just you. Yeah, sorry to That's fine. That's fine. I, I like talking to you. We've um, we've just finished a, a hit workout, haven't we? Yeah. Together. A pair um, workout, which was fun. Absolutely. Just so that we stop being on our phones all the time, which is always your intention um and exercise so win-win yeah i think we can time down exercise up yes that was one of our um intentions wasn't it from last month yeah how's your um how's your screen time been a lot less well i think it was less last month and it's remained about the same but, that's good yeah I'm working on it still and it feels very refreshing how about yourself yeah I'm yeah I think I'm using it less and it's nice to just not look at, like so what I've been doing is doing a run getting back and not looking at my phone for maybe another half an hour because I felt like a dread of getting back to look at it like oh god I'm back to reality like I'd rather just be out running and not that there's ever any communication from anyone but you just feel like you've got to look at it sometimes so uh, it's been nice to to just switch off it a little bit and also um one thing I'm going to ask you about is if you've bought an alarm clock no I haven't no, I haven't bought an alarm clock. I, I, I will do. I will. I did just you, want to pick a nice one. Well, I'm just going to ask, did you ever have an alarm clock, clock when you were younger? I did, yes. Yeah. Which one? Had a Bart Simpson one. Oh, did you? <laughs> did it make a noise when you, what, what was it? Well, obviously it made a noise, otherwise it wouldn't be an alarm clock, would it? Yeah, I think it said, yo dude, aren't you out of bed yet? Yo dude. Repetitive yeah oh did you have a a talking alarm clock I did yeah yours (laughs) oh so good a Walsh and Gromit one and it said morning Gromit time for walkies I wonder if you can still get talking alarm clocks like that they were so good and they had the little characters didn't they yeah did you pick it from the Argos catalogue I think so yeah we can't do that anymore can we I know I know Oh, I'm going to look for a fun alarm clock. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll look for one instead of a, a stylish one. Can I just say, if they don't do them, I think that's something we should start. Like 3D print a really cool alarm clock. <gasps> yeah. Oh God, we can make one with the two of us on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Everybody will want Every, one. To everybody's just... going to know about that and steal that idea. I shouldn't have said that There used to be one where you had to throw it, didn't you? Really? To stop it. Oh, yeah, that's good. People would like that with ours, I reckon. Yeah, Just like a little pin like, to press the head off. Um, <laughs> anyway, how's your month been? My month has been, it's been all right. It's been quite, um, quite a quiet one. I'm, start, I'm waiting to start a new job, so I'm just a bit 
I'm doing a bit of work here and there and I'm doing a bit of running and I've increased my yoga as well which you'll be pleased about oh bloody hell yeah 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 and um, I'm still on with the breath work what else have I done what's your favorite yoga pose do you have one um savasana oh it's hard that one though isn't it I know, I know, but I'm really, I'm still on with, I'm still on with the breathing work. So, um, you love the breathing work, don't you? I do, I do. I saw, I saw my friend actually. I was on a, a run on Saturday, and uh, he cycled past me. So we cycled and ran together, and we had a good chat about breath work. And I said, you know what, I freaking love breathing, and he agreed. So. Otherwise, you'd be struggling. Yeah, I've not really, I've not really had a big month. Um. I have overdosed on Married at First Sight Australia this weekend. So I've heard. You enjoy that? I know, I've watched a lot because, actually, I didn't watch TV for a whole week. That's good. Yeah. So I've been reading a bit more, listening to music. Yeah, I've just been quite... Instead of not watching TV, breathing. I was just breathing, living... um, Like a plant like a plant and I went a whole 48 hours without talking to anybody oh, like a yeah. I remember receiving yeah. that message yeah a bit sad also that I don't have any friends to actually speak to I was to, like oh I'm back. back thought I'd, thought I'd <laughs> <rid> of you <laughs> oh, so tell, me about, tell me about your month what have you been up to yeah mine's been fairly quiet too um working in the lab Lucky, I'm really glad that I can go into work because I do feel for people who are either have lost their jobs or they're working from home because it must be really difficult. Mm. Um, I can actually see people, thankfully. I'm doing a course. So I've had that, that has been increased in intensity over the past month. Mm. Um, so that's good. I've been training and you've been using the same tool as I have the Liverpool yoga studio I'll just yeah. a shout out to them again been using their online classes and the Peloton app good good it's been good and also I'd, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to my personal trainer Eddie who's been keeping me motivated virtually during the past month because I've not been running um, still so it's nice to have that bit of encouragement that's good. Um, it was Valentine's Day last week. Yeah, it was. So I, I hear you, you got quite a lot of flowers. Uh, I got a few bunches, but I, d- I did wonder where where the post was that weekend. Didn't really receive anything. Um, I, I got told, like my mum and dad told me that the postman was on strike last weekend. Just mine, funnily enough. Really? Yeah. And there's no backlog of post either for some reason. I don't know why. Did you try posting yourself a card and seeing if you got it? No, but my niece has sent me a card, which is really thoughtful because they're two and one. So they're very clever. Very clever. Very thoughtful of them, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So Valentine's Day happened and I'm getting my bath done. Bathroom, not bath. Oh, bathroom. It, looks, it looks lovely. It looks lovely. It looks lovely. The plumber messaged me today and he said, Lorna, it looks like a hotel. Oh, it does. It does. I can't wait to 
come and use your sink. <laughs> you want something else there? Don't want you to be doing anything else in my bathroom, Nicola. Um, yeah, so I'm really pleased with the bathroom. Anyway. Oh, Pardon? Did you have pancakes? Did you have pancakes? I didn't have pancakes. Did you? Always, yeah. Why did you not? What did you have? Too messy. What's too messy? The mixture. Says the, says the woman who sends me a, a picture oh. every night of a dessert. <laughs> what? Of your dessert or whatever. Uh, I don't even know what that was. there and at... I just wanted to clarify that you said dessert because it could have sounded like something else because it doesn't. Oh, really? Oh, dessert. dessert. Yeah, but the dessert's always contained within a uh, tin. Uh, I could have mentioned that I'm a good baker before. I can't believe I've not mentioned that I'm runners do just run. Fantastic. Yeah. Incredible. Um, anyway. Yeah. I'm leaving that pancakes. Go on. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so mum's been fine. Yeah, good. Um... Yeah, I'm excited about the next guest on today's show. A bit nervous as well. Yeah, I'm nervous as well. I've known this chap for many years. Mm. And you have as well, haven't you? We've both known him. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a big name on the Yorkshire scene. Massive in Yorkshire. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you have any intentions or goals before we get him on for the next month? Ooh. I should have thought about this, shouldn't I, actually? I've forgotten. Um, forgotten my... In mind that we recorded this about 10 times yesterday. <laughs> my intentions are to decrease uh, my TV and phone time. Well, that's really boring, isn't it? My... It's all right. Right, my goal is to be creative once a week just once a week don't do any more Nicola I'm not starting saying I'm going to do it three times a week because then I, f- I feel like I've let myself down if I if I don't do it yeah that's all right yeah. bit of bit of art maybe sit by your bit room. of art art and crafts art and crafts lovely stuff Thanks. Um, yeah, and possibly just reduce screen time because I think that's good. Oh, that's good. I like I like that goal. We're mm. going to get rid of our phones. Well, I think I might. Anyway, well, yeah, go on. What are your goals and intentions? Um, so I thought of this one last night. I'm going to cook something different at least once a week, oh. and and when I say that, I'm going to actually follow the recipe all the way through and not substitute any of the ingredients because I often like to go a bit mm. off course and think, ooh, put in the raisins instead of chilli or something like that. Yeah. And I thought, Good idea. Oh, yeah. And the other one, it's going to be an ongoing one. Again, about less phone time. I miraculously read a book <laughs> in January. <laughs> Not read a book, a full book from Did you? Yeah. Which book? Um, it's all about the moon. It's called Lunar, Lunar Living. And I'm nearly oh. finished another one. Oh, that's good. You're on it with the reading. What what was your book? 
spot the dog. Well done, Laura. Did you spot it? <laughs> no, that's why I need to read the sequel. Oh. Um, but no, I've, I'm enjoying... Oh, well, I enjoyed it in January, so I thought I could see see it through for another another round yeah. in February. So, yeah. And also, oh, so if I'm allowed a third one, so I've got recipe book. Not, I'm not going to read a recipe book. It's going to be an actual book. Recipe mm-hmm. book. And the third one is to do um, rock fitness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think it, I don't really know what it's going to um, involve, but I'm thinking it's going to be an hour's worth of rock music. I did email them. <laughs> I did email the company and I asked if there's any Bruce Springsteen on the playlist. <laughs> and she said, no, not yet, but there might be soon. So I was like, all right, I'm in. Uh, that's good. That's good. Oh, oh, I feel like I'm gone. Just be something different, won't it? Just yeah, that is good. Very good. I uh, I feel like I've let the side down with my intentions. I well, um, they're really good. They're, they're kind of productive, but positive. Yeah, productive and positive, I should say. Okay, we'll go with that one then. I like your t-shirt, by the way. Thanks. I like your uh, sports wear top. Very nice. Good. Lovely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So about the guest. It's going to be good. It's going to be good because we already recorded it. So we know it's good. We already recorded it. Yeah. So if everyone goes and gets a cup of tea or a glass of red wine, they might fancy. Who knows? Depends on what time of day you listen to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Drum roll? Yeah, let's do a drum roll. So, um, boys and girls, Nicola and I are extremely excited about having our next guest onto the show. He is a very popular and well-known individual. He is a highly successful and well-respected athletics coach from the north of England. I think a lot of our guests will know who he is, um, but we're extremely excited about finding out more about this person. And so, without further ado, I would like to introduce to you all Mr. Phil Townsend. Hello, Phil. Hi, Lorna and Nicola. Hi, Phil. Hi, Phil. I, can I just add, I'm a little bit nervous about this interview. Are you? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, that's it. Go on, carry on, Lorna. Why is that, Nicola? Well, because it's Phil Townsend, isn't it? And like, well, it's just, it's just, you're just well-respected in athletics. But you've known me since you were about 14, so... I know, I know, but I'm How can you be nervous? nervous? I don't know. Anyway, crack on, Lorna. I'll crack on, I'll crack on. So, Phil, um, I'm sure most of our guests will know who you are, but just in case they don't, please could you give the guest a little bit of an introduction of yourself, please? Okay, I'm Phil Townsend. Um, I'm a coach at Leeds City Athletics Club, so I coach mainly athletes from our club but I have coached um, athletes from all over the north of England really I suppose. Um, Started running when I was at school um, when I was 10 or 11. Um, Started informal coaching I suppose even at school I organised sessions um, for younger boys in my house um, organised some sessions when I was at uni 
um, but really started coaching at Leeds City in around about 1998, I think, when um, the crop of coaches that were there were all sort of packing in at the same time. Um, did my coach qualifications fairly quickly so that I could formally coach um, and started off um, coaching under 13s and under 15s and progressed through the age groups. Um, so I've been coaching for a, a probably 22, 23 years now. Great. Um, so why did you start coaching at the start? Um, because the club were losing um, a group of coaches um, for the young athletes. Um, I think there might have been four coaches all sort of packed in at the same time. Right. Um, and my daughter Becky was um, an under 13 at the time. Um, and so to start with, really, um, it was just making sure that there was someone to take the, the under 13 girls out. Um, so that was um, Becky and um, and Sean, who you know, and a couple of the others, um, which is why I had to quickly get on coaching courses and get qualified. Um, and then it just sort of carried on with some under 13 boys that I took through the age groups and um, and then a group of under 20 women. And it was a, it took me three or four years before I coached anybody above um, the sort of age group. So my first seniors weren't until the early 2000s, I don't think. Oh, right. I, I thought for some reason it was before that that you started coaching, actually. Um, were you an athlete yourself back then? I, know um, I was still running back then. I, don't, I think it will be pushing it to call myself an athlete. <laughs> um, I think um, I've, I've always only been average club standard athlete. Um, PBs don't really stand up for um, much scrutiny. And I always like to think that everybody, every male that I've coached um, has beaten all my PBs and quite a few of the females that I've coached have as well. So I was pretty average. Do you think that you, when you first started coaching, do you feel like it was a natural skill of yours? Did you find it quite easy to do? In in terms of a um, bit of scientific knowledge, then yes, because I'd always done a reasonable amount of reading. Um, in terms of communication, then it's not been something I've ever really struggled with. Um, I worked as a GP, so talking... Communicating, building up relationships has always been um, an important part of my job. Um, so I never felt it was a tough progression. The toughest progression really was um, was starting to coach seniors and one, gain enough respect from people who were maybe not much younger than me, um, who were much, much better runners than me, mm-hmm. um, and to feel that I was good enough to coach people to a reasonably high level. Um, I think that was quite a that was quite a big jump um, when I started coaching people who um, were going up to national and international standard. Then mm. uh, you immediately start to doubt your own ability um, as to whether or not you can take them any further. Mm. So how did you how did you find how were you able to do that? Did you research different coaching techniques, or did you just kind of go with what you believed and had worked in the past and applied it to uh, quite a lot of different ways really I uh, did a fair bit of reading um, I'd got a, a whole sort of library of um, 
of little coaching magazines. Um, plus I bought a few books. Then I went on quite a lot of co- courses, both UKA courses and BMC courses. Mm. Spoke to lots of different coaches. Um, so in the early days, I suppose the, the main inputs came from um, Alwyn Dewhurst, who ran the, um, the Young Athletes Regional Programme, where I first met Nicola, um, and um, wider afield, Bud Baldaro, and then when time went on, bit of um, picked up quite a lot of information from people like Mick Woods and Alan Story and Bob Ashwood, um, and just always pick brains of people. And then if you if you start to progress a bit, if you start to coach people who are quite good, then you get invited to coaching events. Um, so then you get the opportunity to hear from um, renowned coaches and then do lots of networking after meetings and, mm-hmm. and just always be asking questions. And, and then obviously you come with your own little philosophies of what you think is the way to do things. Um, and you have that shaped by all those inputs that you get and develop your own, your own way of doing things from there. I'm not saying I do anything dramatically different to anybody else. And I have been heavily, heavily influenced by, I suppose, Bud, George Gandhi, Alan Story. Um, those have been significant influences on me. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if there was any kind of coaching plan or Phil Townsend coaching, like program that you'd say is typically what you do for most athletes? Um, probably not. Um, I think I think I would say my main philosophy is that, I, I mean, so, although I've coached from 800 metres up to marathon with steeplechase in the middle, then um, I've always coached from an endurance background. So I, I certainly don't come from the sort of four, eight, speed-based 800 meter running um and in terms of my model then i guess that that it would always be foundations of endurance first with a gradual increase in intensity and um and frequency of of harder training so pretty much um coming from the sort of traditional model of um from the ground up is there any um, sessions that are kind of your go-to sessions? Um, oh, that's a tricky one. It would very much depend on um, where in the year, what's the event. Um, I guess I, I, early season, I, I like to do um, very low intensity um, group fartlek sessions. So my go-to September would be a once a week um, informal fartlek where um, we maybe do 20 to 25 minutes of effort um, with short recoveries regrouping um, and only really keeping it very aerobic so that will be a typical Phil Townsend September Tuesday um, autumn Saturdays then I like to do um, long threshold stuff so Maybe um, three by 10 minutes would be a, a stock session. Mm-hmm. Um, three by 10 minutes threshold off two minutes. Um, spring go-to sessions, say for the road relays, maybe something like three sets of 
a mile four by four hundred um, as a good short leg road relay session. Um, given I haven't prepared for this, you're yeah. putting me on the spot. Um, track sessions. Um, some typical ones would be probably K eight six four two as um, a speed endurance session. Um, I have um, a 1,500-meter session that we do early season as a session to see where we are, where I do a K with three minutes recovery, uh, five threes off a minute, three minutes recovery, and a 500 run pretty much flat out. So that's that's one of my go-to sessions. Um, in the summer, um, I guess one of the sessions that people uh, in the group always expect um, is... 15 by 40 seconds off, 20 seconds recovery, run close to 1,500 pace. Mm. Um, so that's a, a little sample of various different sessions. Yeah, thanks. And are you coaching, do you do most of your coaching at um, South Leeds Stadium still? Yeah, South Leeds Stadium on Tuesdays and Thursdays and sometimes Saturdays then in the summer, um, Roundy Park or... Um, Methley tend to be the um, the Saturday meeting places, particularly in the winter. Nice. And are you coaching actively now? Do you still have going? Yeah, I'd, I'd describe it more passively than actively. Um, so um, I've I've really I've taken a bit of a um, a backseat role over these last few weeks. It's it's difficult to be to be very active because nobody's really got a racing program. Yeah. So I have just suggested that people um, work on base training, work on their S&C, maybe do one threshold session a week, for example, three by 10 minutes, maybe do um, one um, six to eight K volume session, but not too hard. Mm. So for instance, eight by three minutes off 90 seconds and make the rest up with, um, with relaxed running, steady running. Um, and strides so that when we get the, the all clear to plan to race again people are in a position where they can put together more of a, um, a formal program and I'll start putting sessions on as soon as we've got the go ahead to, to meet um, so that is really for nearly everybody is just doing uh, their own thing based on that as far as I'm aware and you've been um, up that relationship over the past year with your athletes um yeah only just via sort of whatsapp chat really there's yeah. um and then i i try and put on a zoom circuits uh, twice a week um i've tried to encourage people to to join in with that to keep them in touch socially as well but we only get a handful of people so um wednesdays and sundays um usually at 6 30 um who, who leads the circuits Who's me the instructor me? Oh, I didn't know that. Do you do you choose some good songs? No, there's no songs involved. No songs. No songs. No, what do you no. only get about six people then? Yeah. How do you know it's six? Sometimes it's only three. Oh, <laughs> Phil, that's where you you're missing out. We need music, do we? You need music. Well, maybe you'll have to join them, Lorna, and then maybe you, need um, you the can get the tunes as well. Anyway, um, so before COVID was a thing, um, what was the most challenging aspect of being a coach? Um, dealing with failure, I think, is the um, is the most challenging thing. Um, you dealing with failure or, or the athlete or a bit of both? 
bit of both, really. Um, I think, you know, athletes are very different in the way that they deal with competition and success and failure. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to deal with the different personalities um, and how people do cope with not meeting their own expectations. Um, but I have my own expectations. And and as a coach, then um, I don't think I'm unusual in that. Um, it's hard if somebody underperforms and then you start to question what you've done and why you've done it and if you've done things wrong and how much of it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's always a big challenge is to... Uh, to deal with somebody not performing to the expected level, um, say not making a team that they wanted to make or not hitting times they were they were after, um, then um, then I've always found that hard. Um, and I suppose the more successful the athlete is, the the bigger that challenge becomes. Um, people missing out on big championships is um, is always tough, um, and I always tend to go away and and wonder if it's my fault. Um, but I don't think you'd be normal if you didn't. Yeah. Do you think that's a common um, challenge for a lot of coaches? And have you discussed that with others before, like how to deal with it? Or do you kind of just... Um, I think it is very common. And and yes, it is something um, that you sort of, you talk about when coaches meet together. Um, and I don't think there's an easy way around it. I think that the bottom line is if, if, uh, if you're there to try and, facilitate people's success and they're not as successful as you or they wanted them to be then that's always going to be difficult um and um i think the important thing is not to overreact to either uh, not get carried away with success and not to be downhearted when things don't go well but i mean if if for instance you go to a let's say you go to a bmc meeting and you've got 12 people running well some of those aren't going to run well um, you're not going to come away with 12 PBs on a, um, a BMC at Solihull or something. So, you know, you, you're going to have three three out of 12 are going to be disappointed probably. Um, so you've, you've got to find a way of being pleased for the success uh, that the other nine have had um, and dealing them with the, um, the relative failure of people who don't run as well as they wanted to. Yeah. Do you find um, with a lot of your coaches being at Leeds City that the group help each other get through those moments of failure? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I think if there's one one thing that you would you would single out about um, about the group, it's that there is um, a very cohesive, supportive group mentality, mm. which is why it's so hard um, during lockdown where people are either training on their own or meeting up in their twos um yeah but it's very hard to be as supportive um when when people aren't meeting um yeah. you know it's what i mean really you know the, we weren't doing a lot of meeting up till christmas we'd we only had what do we have about four weeks out of lockdown during which yeah. training barely got going again yeah. So it, you're really taking it back to the beginning of November since we were regularly getting together as a group, which is a long time ago now. Mm. It's probably a good thing that the races are not going to be happening for a while because of that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, a bit of that. Uh, um, do you see there's any common mistakes that coaches make? Um, I think I think all coaches make mistakes. I think you, you've got to... 
you've got to accept you're going to make mistakes because you're basically, you you know, you, you can have a group training philosophy um, of which not everybody's going to benefit to the same degree by if you do group training. But when you get down to training individuals um, with personal programs, then everything you do is an experiment of one, really. Mm. Um, there isn't a magic formula that works for everyone. Um, if you've done something and been relatively successful, but you want to go further, then there's a further experiment needed. There's got to be some degree of risk in any of that. Whether you up somebody's mileage or change the way they do sessions or add in some more strength conditioning work, whether you change somebody's race distance with them, then the important thing is to work together, is that you come to an agreement on trying something. Um, but in terms of the regular mistakes that people make, I guess too much too soon and um, and overtraining and not reflecting on, on what's gone on, um, not seeing that pattern emerge. Yes, if we look back three weeks ago, we can see this was starting and um, you smile because you've been there loads of times, haven't you? Are you talking to Nicola? No, no, actually talking to you. Oh, right. Uh, well, I don't think Nicola's been injured maybe as much as a tenth as often as you have. She? I know, but you should hear how she trains. We should, we should <laughs> well, like a nutter. Oh, yeah. Well, the only reason you two get on is you both nutters. <laughs> um, can I just ask the flip side of that, which is you've kind of just said it, but what's the most common mistakes that you find that athletes make? Well, very similar, and I, and I suppose that's where your role as a coach comes in. That um, that you one of your roles is to try and protect athletes from making those same mistakes over and over again. Things mm -hmm. haven't gone well, therefore I need to train harder. Mm -hmm. Therefore I need to do more. Um, and and very often the answer is take a step back and do a bit less, yeah. or um, you know don't run so hard on you recovery runs and don't do everything flat out um, so those are the common mistakes that I think um, are probably pretty universal what um, um, trait not trait I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is what do you think is the most important thing to have between a coach and an athlete to make that relationship successful um, I guess mutual trust, really. Um, I think it, it's very different coaching um, adults than it is coaching young athletes. And I don't tend to coach young, well, I don't coach young athletes anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you're coaching young athletes, and obviously if you take them through, then that relationship um, evolves. But if you're coaching young athletes, it tends to be much more of a group um, programme and it's much more directed. Um, so it's much more of a prescriptive training program. If you're coaching adults, um, then it, it, a little bit, it depends on um, their personality and your relationship with them. You will have senior athletes who want to be told what to do every day, but a good relationship is that evolves into them telling you what they should be doing and then adapting that a little bit. Um, so that you, you know, your direct input into um, what sessions are, how much mileage somebody does, um, should become less and less. They should become more self-sufficient, and you can't do that without developing that mutual trust. Mm 
Mm. Um, so I, I would say that is mutual trust is, is probably the most important thing. Mm. I was, yeah, I was just thinking when you were talking before, like that is, that was the most obvious thing that I would guess as well. And you have to trust that the athlete is going to listen to what you've told them to do. And that yeah, but I wouldn't put it like that. I would say that you have to trust that the athlete goes away and does what you agreed. <laughs> yeah. Because if it's telling them what to do, one, it ain't going to work. Um, and two, it remains prescriptive and it's not sustainable. Um, and it's certainly not sustainable if you're coaching a reasonably large number of people. You need to develop that self-sufficiency. Um, mm -hmm. And you have got a lot of coaches, a lot of athletes that you've got at the moment. Um, so I was going to ask, what have been your favourite moments as a coach over the years? How many do you want? <laughs> if, you give, if you give me a number, I can... One or two. One or two. I can't do one or two. I'd have to do more than that. So not many then. Right. Um, so I would say Tracy Morris coming fourth in the Commonwealth Games Marathon at Melbourne, um, which I was lucky enough to go to. So that was amazing. Um, I managed to follow her from point to point in the race and then get to the stadium and inside the stadium to see her come in and um, actually saw the winner come in first, who was Australian. Um, and there were, whatever it was, 90,000 people in the MCG. Um, and it was unbelievable. The atmosphere was unbelievable. And then to see Tracy run so well, come so close to Liz yelling who got bronze. Um, that was, that's got to be right up there. Um, and um, Wilco and Lisco running the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow together in the steeplechase final. That was, that was pretty special. Um, so we knew that Wilco had an outside chance of a medal, depending on which Kenyans turned up and how they ran. Um, and we knew the race was likely to be quick and we also knew that Lisco was broken and he just had to try and get around and not come last um, and the race went at world record pace um, so the first kilometre was I think, I think Wilco ran the first kilometre in 2.43 um, which or maybe even quicker than that, which was basically around about UK record pace. Um, and Lisco was last. Um, so Wilco ran very strongly, um, wasn't far outside his PB in spite of the suicidal early pace and finished fifth, which was a, a, probably as high as he could finish on that day. The other four athletes were better than him. Mm -hmm. And Lisco overtook an Australian about halfway through the race, and because he was running for Scotland, um, that got the most enormous cheer. And that was a really good time to oh, hear wow. that cheer for Lisco. Um, and he ran as well as he could run, considering he'd barely trained since he did his qualification time because his Achilles was wrecked by then. Mm. So then they have got to be two really big moments. Um, there's loads and loads of others. Um, but I think, you know, that those are big championships and... Um, and they, they'd have to be right up there. Seeing my son Joe run his first marathon at London was pretty special as well uh, yeah. because um, it, it was off the back of, um, we'd have to say, 
a suboptimal preparation. And he'd, uh, he'd developed epilepsy in the September before London, decided to do London for epilepsy action. And we had a chat the night before the race and, um, and we discussed between us what shape we thought it was in, even though the training hadn't gone anywhere near to plan. And we decided that um, that he was capable of running 224 um, and he ran 223 with a negative split. So he couldn't have possibly executed his race any better. Finished 31st, um, having set off in the mass start, um, which was pretty extraordinary, really. So I've extended it to three. I actually, you didn't mention any of the um, young athletes competitions that we used to do. I think I might have finished fourth in one of them. Yeah, I think that was a probably a, an 80 metres hurdles with four in the B string under 17s or something, wasn't it? I feel like it was probably a big moment for me at the time, Phil. But yeah. Maybe that was... Well, I think it's always important to, to big up the the performances of the stragglers, isn't it? So, yeah, you finishing fourth in a race of four was always... A, that was an achievement. It was. It was at the time. Um, I think yeah. Nicola also had a highlight of um, your presence. Yeah. My highlight um, was when Hallamshire won the national team medal and I got a great big hug and a kiss off you, Phil, at the end. And I just, you? you just shocked me, Yeah. I didn't think we were allowed to, you know, have them. Um, well, we're, we're Yorkshire Rivals, aren't we? But the barriers just came down that day. Yeah, I don't remember any yeah. kissing involved. Well, it was just a peck on the cheek, don't right. worry. Safeguarding, it's all well, fine. Just, um, you were just happy, weren't you? I've always been pretty supportive of, um, of other clubs, local clubs particularly. And anybody that I met through that regional talent squad, I would hope that they would all say, that I've continued to cheer them on in races, um, yeah. which has been for what? I mean, heck, nearly 20 years, isn't it? All right. Only all right. over 15. You do um, like doing, don't you? And I'm fairly loud when I shout races <laughs> on. Do you, do you try and be the loudest at a race on purpose? So you're seen more and then you might attract more athletes? I try to be louder than Joe. I think that's the aim. I yeah. feel like you are louder than Joe. I'm not sure I am. There was um, there was quite a funny thing a few years ago when Bucks Cross Country was at Leeds and Joe was, he might have even been captain of Birmingham Uni that year, but he was injured and wasn't running. And both me and Joe were running round from point to point, shouting people on. And somebody put a comment out afterwards saying that they thought that I must get some more points to shout people on in the loudest, most encouraging way in the country. But basically what they didn't realise is that uh, it was me and Joe. Uh, <laughs> but we both sound the same. So half of my shouts were actually not me, they were Joe. And Joe, I'm, I'm a bit surprised actually that you haven't done what Joe's doing at the moment, commentary, sports commentary. I feel like that's something that you would be good at. Um, well, he's got the career that I always wanted, hasn't he? I would have loved to have gone into sports journalism and broadcasting. So, yeah, I try and live my life through Joe now. Um, and his boys, obviously. Oh, yeah. Well, do you want to give a little shout-out to them today, Matt? Yeah, we'll give a little shout-out to Harry and George. Yeah, or George and Harry. Um, so, just going back to your career, you were a GP. Retired now, I believe. Yeah, retired but vaccinating. That's good. So you're doing that um, on a regular basis? 
At the moment, I'm doing it once a week at my old practice. Oh, that's good. How did you find um, the transition to retirement? You weren't retired for that long, I don't think, were you, until you've started vaccinating again? Um, well, the transition has been um, has been weird. That's the only thing I can say. I, I don't feel like I've ever... Because um, I finished work at the end of March last year, so um, COVID had been going four weeks then. Um, so I've not had a proper retirement. I've lost certainly six planned trips. Um, were they all to Portugal? No, as it happens, they weren't. We were going to go on a cruise with my sister and her husband and my mum and dad. That bit the dust fairly early. Um, Maria and I were having a weekend in Edinburgh. That's gone. Um, had a golf trip with the boys. That's gone. And then various trips to Portugal as well. Yeah, but we've had to cancel. Hopefully you can do those in the semi-near future. Yeah, hopefully so, because um, we've got a house that has only had a fleeting visit once in a year. Um, well, well, coming up to a year. I mean, you and Nicola can go as soon as you want us to actually what to do the cleaning not the cleaning no as you because were... you've got a new hoover so if you put that in your hand luggage you could take your new hoover with you as long as you had a plug adapter it's quite big you could clean up for me and just don't forget the battery loaner no we do actually have a hoover in portugal so but you could still go and do the cleaning if you wanted nicola might um how did you fit in coaching running and working and parenting um, yeah, that's a really good question. Since even though my retirement hasn't really started properly, mm. then since I retired, then it makes you wonder how you fitted everything in before. But I think one thing, um, a phrase I heard many years ago was, if you want something doing, ask a busy person. And yeah. I think the answer there is that the busier you are, the more organised you are and the more you can fit in, the more time you've got on your hands. And it definitely applies to running. If you're not really structured, the more time you've got on your hands, the harder you find it to fit things in, the more you put stuff off. Mm. So, you know, if, if for those people who've experienced that of not having much to do in the day and thinking, oh, I'll run in an hour, I'll have a cup of tea now and then oh, I'll just watch this on TV. And then before you know it, it's six o'clock at night and you still haven't been. But when you're busy, you've got to be really You've got to be really structured and get it done. And the other thing is that um, I think my own running just took more and more of a backseat um, due to more and more coaching um, work, getting busier and busier year on year, uh, me getting older and more tired and me getting older and more injured. Mm. Um, so I've actually managed to um, get a lot fitter in the 10 months since I retired um, than I have been for about 10 years. Mm. But I am currently back injured again. What's the injury this time? Um, some sort of calf problem um, that I don't know whether um, it's a tear or tendinopathy or a neural pain, but I've seen a physio this week who thinks it's neural. Um, so I've run three times, Wednesday, Friday, today, but it hurts. Are you good at coaching yourself? No, terrible. But I've been a lot better this year. Um, I, I think I've made two mistakes, but you're going to make some mistakes. But I I, um, I didn't start back running until the end of March, which was 
two miles, just under two miles in 17 minutes. Um, and gradually progressed that up to um, doing about 65 miles a week with wow. one one long run of 13 to 15 miles, one threshold run or blocks, and one session of 10k pace, 30 minute volume, and the rest being easy running. So I think I've been I've been pretty sensible about um, my training over the last 10 months, a lot more than I've been in the past when I was younger. With age comes wisdom, Phil. Um, maybe it's more a case of not having anything particularly to have as a target. I think I've always chased in the past. Um, I've made all of those mistakes of overtraining and doing too much intensity and not listening um, to my own body. Yeah. You need to practice what you preach, I think, Phil. Yeah. Um, or preach what I practice now. Yeah, exactly. Um, have you tried yoga? No. Um, I don't like sour milk, so no, I just... Well, you can have oat no. milk. What, in yoga? No, I just yeah. uh, I can't be doing with yoga. Uh, I hear that you're quite anti-yoga, aren't you? I'm not anti-yoga at all, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I was trying to make that a joke and turn it into yogurt, but it just... It oh, cost you back. I thought it was because you um, you're going on the vegan diet. No, I, um, I haven't tried yoga. I... Um, but as you know, I do circuits twice a week and I'm doing some yoga type or Pilates type oh, exercises in my rehab. Uh, oh. But I'm not anti-yoga at all. No, not at all. Oh, good. So whoever's told you that's telling you lies. Becky. Oh, Becky. I don't think she... I encourage Becky to do yoga. It's just that because I don't do it doesn't mean I'm anti it. Good. Okay, that's fine. And how are your dogs? Uh, Phil has... Two. Two dogs. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could say we've got three, but one of them's dead. Um, yeah. Sorry, Phil, I didn't want to bring that up. Well, you did. You have brought it up. Oh. So we lost Wilson, our 13-year-old Spring Spaniel, um, just over a month ago. Um, and um, we had to have him put down on the Monday after he'd had a stroke. Oh. Um, and by the Saturday week was it the Saturday week or maybe even the Saturday we saw we saw a new puppy um and um immediately um we were taken by this puppy and so we've had Hattie now it'll be four weeks I think um and she's brilliant she is a cockapoo that is basically more spaniel than poo um she's very small um and she's brilliant. We love her. Oh, that's good. Do you do do you run with the dogs? Um, I did years ago. Used to. I mean, Alfie, who is fifteen, is a cavalier, and he's he's done a bit of running, and he's running around at races, but he's never really had much of an engine. But mm. I used to do a lot of running with Wilson. But between me and Joe, I think we basically wore Wilson's joints out. Oh. Uh, so he had really really bad arthritis. He tore two ACLs and had to have surgery on both of those. Um, we did. We did have a, one story about Wilson, which was that um, this must have been when he was only about three, probably a good ten years ago. Um, I went out and ran with him um, on a Sunday morning and did whatever 10, 11 miles. Joe didn't realise. Went out running with him, did at least that amount, if not more, 
<laughs> and Maria took him out for a walk, not knowing he'd been on two runs. So we probably did in excess of 25 miles one Sunday. Oh, so, yeah, we, de we definitely ran with Wilson. Fittest dog in Woodlesford. Yeah, he was pretty fit till, he's, till all his limbs gave up. Oh. The reason I asked you about your dogs in your GP career is because the podcast is actually called Runners Don't Just Run, in case you were wondering. All right. You, you don't just run. No. You also like a bit of golf. I do, yeah. Do you have a favourite golf course? Um, yeah, probably my favourite golf course is um, on the west coast called Burtdale, which is um, very near where my friend Mark Williams lives in Southport. Oh, yeah. Um, and then my favourite course abroad um, is called Monterey in Portugal on the Algarve. Do you ever run on golf courses? Yes, yeah, quite a bit. I've run on golf courses. We've got a golf course quite near us, um, Alton Hall. Oh, yeah, and so I sometimes run around the edge of there. Um, and um, we we run around a disused golf course now, but it was a golf course until about two or three years ago um, at South Leeds called Middleton Park Golf Course. Is it still but, kept? Like a golf course, as in nice smooth grass. They they cut a little bit so as a path for people to walk around, um, but it isn't kept as a golf course. But it's still decent enough for running around. Um, so, what, what's your favourite terrain for running or for golf? For running. Oh, that's changed a lot over the years because um, of my age and infirmity. I would say my favorite surface for running these days is the canal right. towpath because it's flat and forgiving. Mm, bit soft. What's your favorite terrain, Nicola? Oh, um, I'd have to say, oh, it's a tricky one. Um, road, I guess. With trail not far behind. Uh, yeah, probably similar. I do like a golf course to run on though. That's yeah. What you about that. It's a little bit dangerous sometimes though, isn't it, running on a golf course? It depends which bit you run on. If you run down the middle of the fairways, then yeah, possibly a little bit dangerous. But usually there's footpaths around the edge of them. Right, we're back. Phil's uh, battery went, which is good, but he's solved that problem. So I'm going to ask Nicola if she's got any questions for Phil now, as I believe she might have quite a few for you. So I do. Um, first question is, um, you're a Barnes football fan, aren't you, Phil? I am, yes. Are you from Barnsley? Is that the reason? Um, I was born in Barnsley, yeah, and moved to Leeds when I was seven. And my dad's dad, so my paternal granddad, um, used to go and watch them. So yeah. I think... I was probably about five when he first took me. So that's that then. Ah. That that makes sense. I didn't know how you'd you'd pick Barnsley. Um favourite Barnsley player ever? Ronnie Glavin. Okay. That was um, easy. <laughs> do you think you'll get in the playoffs this season? Um I think we've got more chance than the bookies say. So if you want to put money on it. Then, well, I think you're playing. You've got a nice new manager, haven't you? He's doing quite well, well so far. Very well, Valerian Ishmael. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 
I've been in deep conversation on WhatsApp with my son about this. Um, yeah. If if we continue to play like we have since the new manager came in, mm-hmm. then we would make the playoffs. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're four points outside the playoffs currently with a game in hand. Um, if we win that game in hand, obviously we're one point outside. But we only had four points after seven games. Yeah. So if we carry on with the points per game for the rest of the season that we've had under this manager, we'd end up on 73, 74 points. And that pretty much always gets in the playoffs. Yeah. So chances are we won't, but we've got a chance. So... Let's wait and see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Going back to athletics and running, um, there's quite a lot of, um, with social media, there's quite a lot of um, runners who have took it upon themselves to become coaches without qualifications. What's your view on this? Um, I guess first thing is that they're not coaching, are they? What they're doing is setting programmes, really. Um, second thing would be that anyone enters into that kind of a relationship then they've got to appreciate that the person who's giving them advice has got absolutely no qualification affiliation with UKA and therefore no insurance cover either Um, so if anything were to go badly wrong then that person is at risk Um, so I wouldn't advise it Um, I think um, it, it's it's reasonably easy if you've got a decent running background, if you've run a long time, if you're, if you're reasonably well read in the science of training, it's reasonably easy to set uh, programmes for developing runners. Um, but that doesn't really make you a coach. It basically makes you a runner's world um, because it's not a lot different to picking something out of runner's world, you know, how to run a sub-four marathon and um, things like that. Um, but if if people want to coach, then you don't need you don't need masses of qualifications. You just need to do enough to get through to level two on or whatever the equivalent is now on the UK a program um, to be able to coach independently um, and have the insurance cover. Um, but what I would say is, I think that coaching is much more about your relationship than it is about setting sessions. Um, so um, I think if people want to get into coaching, then you've got to work on your your personal relationships, your communication, and, and not just tell people what to do via email and WhatsApp. Definitely. And I think, I, I don't know if you've, we're not going to be too controversial, but we there's obviously been a petition this week about coaches um sent to UK Athletics. Um how obviously I don't know how to word this. Um have you come across coaching situations that you've seen other people in and been worried about their situation before? Between it, the it depends, it depends what you you mean on that. I mean there's obviously there's the there's an awful lot of coach athlete relationships, even dealing with adults where you can see it's very much um, the coach tells the athlete what to do. Um, and generally speaking, the chances are that, that those relationships are going to break down at some point um, because there's very few situations where that will continue to work um, in the long term. I think um, if we go back a number of years 
to a very successful setup. Um, one example of that was a guy called Dave Farrow, um, who coached, uh, amongst others, Emily Pigeon. Um, and I think that was very much directed coaching. It was very much about, um, I think there were contracts that athletes signed and, and athletes were pretty much promised that he would get them UK age group records. Um, and, and I think lots of people could see that there were unhealthy relationships within that coaching setup from a long, long way out before it all broke down, uh, which I think from memory ended up in courts with some people. Um, but I think, I think you see, I mean, you've always got to be mindful that you don't know relationships. You don't, you don't know everything that goes on and you've got to bear in mind that sometimes the right approach is to put an arm around the shoulder, whether that be literally or metaphorically. And there are times when the more appropriate thing might be a hard word. Um, but if you see repeatedly a coach shouting at athletes in a derogatory fashion um, during or after races, then you know that's not going to be that's not going to be helpful and it's and it's potentially harmful. And if you see a coach um, with physical contact repeatedly over an athlete that you think might be inappropriate, the chances are it's going to be inappropriate. But I would say that in terms of that, in terms of that inappropriate contact, then that's not something that I've seen very often. Yeah. But in terms of a bullying type coaching philosophy, then everyone's seen it. Yeah, uh, definitely. And um, it's a style that um, is still prevalent. It's prevalent in football. It's prevalent in other sports. Um, I think there's a fine line between getting the best out of somebody in a cooperative way, getting the best out of somebody in a team philosophy way, maybe even more difficult because if an individual doesn't fit in with that team philosophy, then for them to interpret a coach's behaviour as bullying towards them, you can easily see that occur when, um, when a relationship breaks down. So I guess one of the things you should be asking yourself is, if our relationship breaks down, is there anything that I do that could be deemed to be inappropriate? And if the answer to that is yes, you need to be doing things differently. Um, and that's not to, to say that things that have gone on in, for instance, British gymnastics or British cycling are either good, bad or indifferent. Um, but I think if we take British gymnastics, it's highly unlikely that so many different people have alleged bullying um, when they haven't really been bullied. I think, I think it's very likely there was a, a bullying culture and a culture of inappropriate advice regarding diet and weight. But I'm not surprised um, because if, if you've ever seen high-level gymnastics, then those relationships are odd. Uh, the training that they do is very odd. Um, and in order to be successful, then they're at the extremes. Um, so it, it didn't come as any great surprise to me. Um, yeah. But in terms of athletics, I think generally speaking, then um, I would like to think in the endurance fraternity, then most, most coaching is supportive 
and yes. supportive across the board in that, you know, I, there's only, not only me that cheers on athletes from other clubs. I think most of the coaches that I get on with are mutually supportive. We like to see other athletes and other teams do well, but we like to win. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course you do. So then um, coming second. <laughs> another question about coaching. Um, I think quite often in female athletes, um, diet and size and weight can be a bit of an issue. Um, if you saw, if you did see, if you felt an athlete had an issue with that, how would you deal with it? Or have you had to deal with anything like that? Before? Well, again, it very much then depends on the, the individual and the situation that um, that has occurred. So if, if you're approached by an athlete to be coached, and you feel that there is an issue to start with, then that's very different mm. to someone who develops an issue during your coach-athlete relationship with them. Um, so I would I would be very reluctant to take on an athlete who I felt was um, disordered in their eating to the extent that it was unhealthy or that was whose weight was. Um, below a level that would appear to be acceptable. I think it's important that if you if you are coaching anybody who weight loss might be an issue with, then it's it, it should be part of your discussions. Um, yeah. So I generally will have a little, not really a questionnaire, but I, I get people to give me information before um, I start coaching them. That includes any issues over injuries and illness and any other limitations were life balance issues, things like that. Um, and clearly then if you're coaching women, then it's not difficult to extend that into talking about things like menstrual cycle um, and be mindful of it um, because the last thing you want to do is to contribute to anybody's ill health. Um, and clearly there's a lot more profile for um, eating um, disorders and what's now called REDS um, in the athletics yeah. world. Um, so both coaches and athletes should be more aware of it than they were in the past. But there's still a lot of it. There's still a lot of it in endurance sports in general and endurance athletics in particular. So I would I would not hide away Thank from it. I would deal with it and and I would be prepared to stop sure. coaching somebody who. Um, who didn't take notice of issues and and try and deal with them. Um, so I wouldn't be unsupportive of them, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't carry on to give them programs to enable them to do harm to themselves. So I would probably have discussions about right. We need to have a think about what we do here for the best and how we're going to tackle this. Um, and if need be, I'd have to stop coaching somebody. Um, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Right, I'm going to be a bit more lighthearted now. Oh, good. If you if you could compare yourself to a football manager, who would you compare yourself to? Um, I suppose it would have to be somebody that's that's come through from the lower leagues and done quite well. Uh, Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder would be a great shout. Yeah, yeah, because Chris Wilder's up there as as one of the people that um, that I admire. Yeah, Chris yeah. Wilder would be a good shout. Quite old school. Yeah, um, yeah. But, no messing about Yorkshire. But with but it, but would still use modern.
techniques and styles. So you're a Chef United fan, are you? Then? Absolutely not, no. Oh, right. Does <laughs> that mean, I'd, I'd that do mean that. you've been looking forward to League One football next year? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait, Phil. And f- fingers crossed we turn it round, but you never know. And, yeah, no, Chris Wilder Chris Wilder is a great shout, and um, I don't know Chris Wilder at all, but um, but I have followed Chris Wilder's career for a number of years because my son Joe was the football um, journalist for BBC Northampton in the right. year that Northampton got 100 points and got promoted under Chris Wilder. So Joe and Chris Wilder actually know each other pretty well. Right. And every time that Joe was at a regional area, I would follow the team that he mm. was following. Um, so I followed Chris Wilder's progress from then on. Um, and I think he's a top, top man. I really like Chris Wilder. Yeah. So yeah, that would do, yeah. do for me. Yeah, yeah. no, I'll, I'll, even being a Wednesday fan, I, I think he's done amazing as a, as a manager. So yeah. Fair enough. Whereas so, I wouldn't um, even be able to tell you who's current manager of Wednesday because it changes uh, so frequently. I know it does weekly. We've got a caretaker manager anyway. Uh, less about that. Um, who is your favourite athlete of all time? Uh, of all time? Um, probably be a toss-up between Steve Obert and Wilson Kipkita. But only one of my dogs has ever been named after an athlete. Yeah. And we haven't had a dog called Steve. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> so I'm guessing so, you were an, you were an Obet fan, not a cram a curl fan, sorry. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um and who who do you really look up to? Who's the one coach that you've gained the most knowledge and experience from? Oh, if if it is a if I had to say one, um I'd probably have to say Bud, um, because I think I've spent the most time out of all of them with Bud. Um, He's the one I've had the closest relationship with. Um, um, So definitely from Bud, I've I've gained loads from George Gandhi Mm -hmm. um, over 1500 meter training in particular. and I learned loads from Alan's story. Um, and those three are definitely the three that have had the most influence on me. Um, but Bud would be the, if I picked one. Yeah. What an amazing guy. Um, is there one athlete who you wish you could have coached? Apart from me, obviously. Oh, well, that was, that was my answer. <laughs> um, and not Lorna, obviously. Who is uncoachable, as we know. Um, who would I... What, you mean out of the whole world? Oh, we'll talk British clubs. British clubs. Um, yeah. Who would I like to have coached? God, now that's a really t- hard one. Um, yeah, that's hard to yeah. say. Yeah, I can't come up with an easy answer for you there. Well, you can get back to us and we'll let people know. Right. I may have to do it as a postscript. But loads. There's loads of people I would love to have coached. Um, But the problem is you you don't know whether you can coach somebody. Um, You know, you can can look at what they do in races. 
and you can hear about what they've done in training. You think, oh God, if I could coach them, blah, 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 blah. But, but so much of it is about um, developing a relationship with that yeah. person. That, um, the first thing you've got to think is, oh, I get, I'd get on with them really well. I bet we could have a good coach-athlete relationship um, yeah. rather than thinking there's so much potential there and they're not, they're not coached. Um, so yeah, but there'd be loads. Um, but I've been lucky. I've had loads of very, yeah. very good athletes. I was going to ask Phil, do you do you often approach people to coach, or do you find that most people approach you? Um, I don't. I don't approach people to coach. Um, that is part of, of my coaching philosophy. I've, mm-hmm. I've never been into that. Um, I don't really like it being done. Um, so I, I guess I rely. From that point of view, I'm fairly old school as well. I don't, I don't advertise myself, um, uh, and I've picked people up from them coming to move to Leeds, mm-hmm. and then joining in with the group, and then asking me if I want to coach them. And from word of mouth, that people occasionally approach me. Um, I think, but, um, but no, I don't. I never go out and and ask somebody if they would like me to coach them. No. I think that's probably why me and Nicola's gone wrong then, isn't it? I think we were waiting for you to ask yeah. us if we wanted to be yeah. coached by you. So um, we've probably wasted about 10 years of our running career there, Nicola. Yeah, prob- probably have. Yeah. Do you think we're past it now? Or do you think I'm past it? Uh, well, we know you are. I mean, us, sorry. Um, are you the same age? I'm oh, a bit older. On. Oh, yeah, right. Well, you're both past it then, because I know Lorna is. So therefore, you <laughs> must be. Is there anything that we can do? Um, is there any other for- sport that we should start, do you think? Um, well, netball's out of the question, isn't it, for Nicola? Um, yeah. You could possibly do netball. Why is, Nic- um, why is netball out of the question for Nicola? She's a bit of a shorty, isn't she? I'd be a good centre, Phil, honestly. Would you? She's quite nippy, though, isn't she? Yeah, she's quite nippy and strong, yeah. Strong, um, bowls? Yeah. 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 Doesn't involve much running then. So that'd be good for you, Lorna Bowles. Yeah, I've got a good arm swing. I've been working on that actually in the past year. What's your coordination like? Pretty good, yeah. I managed so why not golf? Well, yeah, I could do golf. Good for the tanning, I believe. You're out on the course for many hours. Yeah, it's a strange tan you get there, isn't it? Not if you wear a bikini. Yeah, which doesn't often happen. No, but in Portugal, good. That would be a good sport, though, bikini golf, wouldn't it? You know, follow up on yeah. the footsteps of beach volleyball, bikini yeah. golf. Yeah, it could, yeah. Um, I'll see if Tokyo want to include that on their programme for this year. I think we could make it. I think I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. Seeing, as, seeing as we know you quite well, Phil, and we're going to flip it, are there any questions you'd like to ask me and Lorna? Um, why have neither of you ever approached me to coach you then? Because we thought you were going to ask us, but ah, yeah, right. Um, we know now, yeah. So, between you, how many different clubs have you run for? Oh, here we go. Get the bants going, <laughs> Phil. Get the bants going. <laughs> Does Lorna win? Yeah, Lorna wins, hands down. You just chase medals, though, don't you? Yeah. Me or Nicola? No, Nicola. Nicola, no, I just go. Yeah, once once Highfield Highfield, once Alan started going downhill, (laughs) then she was straight off to Ribble Valley. Jump ship. Yeah, well, we all we all make mistakes, don't we, Phil? 
Are you still at Ribble Valley or not? No. 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 That's a postscript, I think. Yeah. Is it? All right. Yeah. Are you back at Hallamshire? Uh, well, if you saw my notes, it says rejoin Re Hallamshire. Yeah. Training a group. I think <laughs> and I could make our own running group. I think that's what we might have to do. Hallamshire's yeah. a lovely club. Yeah. 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 And it's close to home as well, isn't it? And who's you currently run for then, Lauren? Myself. So I you're not run. a member of the club? I don't run. <laughs> but you must have been a I member of at least six clubs, haven't you? Well, maybe. I've moved around a lot, though, haven't I? Yeah. They say you get around a lot, don't they? Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to bring it back to a serious question and then we can end it because you're getting silly. Okay. Um, if you had one piece of advice for a young athlete, what would you give? What would you say to them? Um, stick at it. That success is is often a long term in the making. Um, that don't be put off if you if you're not that good when you're younger. Stick at it. Um, yeah. Try and enjoy your running. Stick at it, and success often comes for those who persist in running for long enough. That's why we're still trying, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks. Right. Uh, I think I think that's a nice way to end it. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Well, you're very welcome. You can get back to your sewing now and Lorna can get back to a, a hoover hoover. A hoover hoover. I will do, can't wait. Thank you very much. And hopefully see you both at some races soon. Yeah, hopefully. Right. Thank you very much. Bye. Congratulations, you've listened to the end of episode 9. Nicola doesn't know I'm doing this, and I've just decided to do it as I was editing it. If you've got to the end, send the two Yorkshire birds a message on the Instagram page, and you'll get some fantastic memorabilia from us. Not sure what it's going to be yet, but it will be worth it. Thank you, and goodbye. <laughs>